welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. This episode is brought to you by Nexus. Building a support a creator program is something all live service game developers should be doing. But without the right engineering bandwidth or marketing expertise, doing so can be a challenge. Nexus's creator program in a box makes it easy for game devs to build and manage world-class creator programs, driving significant growth in conversion, ARPU, retention, and LTV. Nexus has partnered with incredible live service publishers like Capcom, Grinding Gear Games, Hi-Rez, Ninja Kiwi, and more, and would love to help you, our Navic Gaming Podcast listeners, do the same. If interested in learning more, simply head to nexus.gg slash Novik. There, you can learn more about the efficacy of support of creator programs and discover how to easily build your own. Again, that's nexus.gg slash Novik, or check out the link in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hey, everyone. Before jumping into today's episode, I wanted to share some quick context on what you're about to listen to. Together with Dive, uh, one of our open gaming research initiative partners. We're exploring the topic of data and games through a limited podcast series called The Data Corner. Today's episode is the first one that covers the topic of the data nightmare that the games industry faces. In other words, uh, you know, games in general generate tons of player data every day. And within that data exists a ton of harvestable insight that can be used to drive better decision-making, to drive more revenue, and eventually drive better game-making. But, you know, such large pools of data also require time, money, and people to analyze and harvest from it. And that keeps many game developers from spending time in the data to help them make better games. This tension is really at the heart of the data nightmare the gaming industry faces today. And this conversation with Elad Levy, founder and CEO of Dive, is focused on unpacking that tension a bit more. It is a wide-ranging conversation that covers what the nightmare is all about, why the gaming industry is unique in facing it versus other industries, how game developers should navigate the problem, and what they're leaving on the table if they don't navigate the problem, and also much more. So I hope you enjoy episode number one of the Data Corner. And do send me your thoughts, feedback, and questions so that I can address it all as I continue to build this limited series out. With that, let's jump into the episode. Welcome, everybody, to the Navig Gaming Podcast. And today, we're having a conversation with Elad Levy, uh, founder and CEO of Dive, which is a cross-platform data analytics service provider for the games industry. Uh, this is also Elad's comeback to the pod after almost half a year where he's been focusing on scaling Dive. Uh, and I'm super happy, happy to have you back, uh, Elad, for this Data Corner Limited series. So, you, yeah, Andy. I mean, just to kick it off, how how have you been? How have the past six months been? Well, it's, it's going great. We continue... Um, 
scaling bit by bit. It's, uh, as you know, the professional services in the games industry is, uh, is a lot of grinding, but it's, yep. it's fun. Yep, yep. Just taking taking every day at a time, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, maybe as a maybe as a quick refresher for our listeners, could you briefly go over, you know, what Dive does, and you know how you guys help game developers make successful games? Of course. So we provide professional data BI services to companies, and we focus mainly on game studios. And over time, we realized that many of the tools out there are just not good enough. So we ended up developing our own platform for data and live ops and other really great tools that help maximize the lifetime value of players. Think about it as enterprise level data services for um, game studios. We are kind of trying to level the field between the huge companies that have insane internal BI data teams and the one that just start yep. and are struggling out there. So we are kind of like leveling the field in a way. Yep. Companies of all sizes probably, you know, uh, for a certain game have the same volume of data, but not the same size of teams. So I totally understand, yes. you know, uh, leveling the playing field and where that comes from. Um Great, awesome. So, um, so with that, you know, I guess we can jump into today's uh, topic of discussion, which is the gaming industry's data nightmare. <laughs> yes, it's a it is, it's a man. chilly uh, chilly title, <laughs> chilly title. Yes, slightly ambiguous, but also you know, uh, ear perking to say the least. And uh, this is um, this is a topic that you know Elad kind of made me aware of uh, while planning out this limited series. And I'm like super curious to learn more, uh, you know, about where what he means, where he's coming from, and how he kind of sees uh, uh, sees uh, this problem in the market. So uh, to maybe let just set the stage, uh, maybe you could just start off with defining it. So what is the data nightmare that the games industry is facing, and why is it facing it? Well, I'm calling it that. It's it's been like that for years, but I'm. For me, like the data <laughs> and games is is a nightmare because there are no tools and it's complicated. And in an essence, it comes it it all starts with the fact that it's not a booking or a travel website or an e-commerce card that you just you know the, the flow there is very simple. Tracking is very simple on those mm -hmm. websites. Games have a ton of moving parts and. They generate, players, users in games generate uh, a ton of events. Uh, think about the fact that if you have just a few thousands of DAU for a game, you get to tens of millions of events a month that pile up very, very fast. So that means storage, mm -hmm. that means uh, a CPU for like processing that data. And it, it just drags a lot of maintenance and uh, other industries <laughs> don't have that because, you know, dating apps are very straightforward. E-commerce are, you know, you just add a few items to a shopping cart and check out, but games are really insane. I'm not talking about hyper casual or like, those are basics, but if you take, <laughs> I don't know, and also there is a huge difference if you try to, I don't know, do a data analysis on Diablo 
versus um, uh, Candy Crush, but the mm-hmm. amount of data is just staggering and it becomes a nightmare very quick. <laughs> right. So, so I guess yeah. uh, just to clarify, I guess the nightmare is uh, mostly faced by the, you know, the BI teams or the game developers themselves, depending on the size of the company where it's just so much data to process. And, you know, I guess they kind of know that there's a lot of value if they were to process it. But it's exactly. also a function of time and resources that, you know, uh, can they actually process it and gain that value? So maybe maybe as the next question, like, how do you, like, how... It, do you think like majority of the game developers are even aware that they are in this <laughs> data nightmare and like how, when and how does one even know? I think that, uh, you know, in the beginning when a game starts and you do soft launch, then mm-hmm. everyone are looking at the same core KPIs. I call them the boring KPIs. It's right. a little bit of retention, engagement, session length, uh, blah. That's right. like a black APIs for me. But right. when you start adding content, and again, I'm focusing heavily on IAP games, like in-app purchase games, because this is where the lifetime value shines. You, you have to feed that content trend mill and you have to analyze churn points and progression systems. And there's a ton of uh, data. I mean, that's where data starts getting complicated. This is exactly the point mm-hmm. that you go from, I just look at session time and retention to, I need to analyze churn points, game economy, uh, progression systems, and, and start looking for correlation because everything affects everything out of the, out of the target audience that, I don't know, finished five achievements in the first week, how many retained over time because everything affects everything, you know? So that type of correlation and that type of insight, you need a really professional product manager on the other side to lead the whole thing or a game designer that knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and someone to help you uh, collect and extract that data, which is, you know, either you build an in-house team, you can hire us, or you can, I know it's, there are different ways to do it, but some of the, some of our clients try building those team in-house and ended up calling us after years of frustration because connecting mm-hmm. product data inside is not that simple. Uh, maybe maybe a follow-up. So like you kind of said, you know, during soft launch, it's mostly a focus on the on the basic slash boring KPIs, you know, uh, retention and ARPT hours and yeah. basically trying to see if, uh, you know, the CPI to LTV equation can work out at scale or not. Um, but soft launch is also kind of the time where, you know, some of the biggest product changes are made. Um, and um, for I... Uh, are you trying to say that um, you know this um, these correlations that can that that become pretty critical in terms of uh, you know helping decide big product changes? It's um, not that important to look at during the soft launch period, or uh, or not possible to look at given the scale of data. Or um, what do you mean over there? I'll be honest. If you have the luxury of having that 
capabilities from day one, it will help because mm-hmm. I can, I, I cannot, it's a podcast, so I cannot share my screen, but I can show you games that we have on clients right. that the classic boring D1 is 13%, but mm-hmm. if I uh, look at the dashboard that we made where you check rolling retention and adding to that correlation of people that play a specific game mode or finish an achievement on the first day, the mm-hmm. the D1 retention spikes to over 90. It's insane. Because mm-hmm. um, th- that's the type of insight that you do if you have access to raw data and a data analyst, because you can start digging those kind of correlations and it will also help soft launch. The thing is that Many game studios don't have this luxury, so we have to str- they have to struggle with you know some free tools and getting by with what they have. And uh, a lot of guesswork. Exactly. So it's a shame, you know. But that's why we st- we try working with the I call them early stage VC backed game studios because they have some sort of funding. <laughs> So they they have a better probability of iterating their product and launch launching a better game. So right, it's it that's it basically in an essence. Right, right makes sense. Um, I guess yeah, that kind of like brings up the interesting difference between you know uh, small teams, medium sized teams, big teams with another vector of you know well funded and not so well funded. And how, what, what would, what, how would you say, like, you know, each of these kind, these different styles of teams should kind of be managing this, uh, this nightmare? I am a, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of, uh, of uh, small teams. And I think that you need to keep mm-hmm. lean, at least in the beginning, so mm-hmm. you can uh, stretch the runway as much as you can. Instead of like building an in house data team that can cost tens of thousands of dollars. Then that's exactly why we started Dive to kind of give that for a frac, like give Enterprise BI for a fraction of the price. But you can really do a lot with small teams. You don't need, you know, with a handful of people, five people, ten people, like you can do magic. You know, you can really do magic. Uh, right. You, right. You must. You know, one of the most important parts is a strong product manager, game designer, someone that that knows also beyond the product vision, beyond the game vision, he needs to know what to ask. Because data works in a very simple way, like it's it's very similar to development. You cannot hire a developer Mm -hmm. and tell him, build a game. He won't know how to build it. So you start with some sort of a product manager or a game designer first, and he basically mm-hmm. writes the spec of how the flow will look like. And that same person should be the one asking the questions of whether the design that he made worked or not. But you can do a lot of like freelance work. You know, you can hire Navik for you know a consulting on game economy. We can help with BI. 
there are so many options today that you don't really need full-time people. Like it's it's possible mm-hmm. to stretch that period for with rather lean uh, budget. Right, right. Makes sense, yeah. Um, maybe just to like quickly go back to something you said about, you know, um, your focus on IAP-driven uh, games and, you know, uh, the decisions uh, the decisions over there and the correlations to be made over there uh, tend to get um, quite complex. Uh, the bigger the game is, you know, the I guess the longer it is in its, in its uh, life cycle and such. Um what about uh, what about the other side of the spectrum, like in terms of ads-driven uh, games? Um, is how how, how uh, do you see that space differently? I, 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 the whole hyper hyper casual is uh, the the model is very simple. It, it reminds me mm-hmm. of the. If you remember the BuzzFeed kind of, you know, uh, websites, it's basically, mm-hmm. you know, you buy for as cheap as possible. You show as many ads as possible. You recoup, you recover, you know, the money and maybe make some. And it's a it's a question of volume, but it's not, those are not games that last over time. You know, those are not games that cater to a niche of players that will go completely obsessed about them and, you know, will buy T-shirts of them and will build communities around them. And that's that's like, you know, it's a a different style of games. And I'm a big fan of, you know, the long-term game. So... um, in an essence, you know, I played FIFA when it was you know, in 1995, and my kids are playing <laughs> FIFA today. So you see that some yeah. games are, you know, they they are really like eternal in a way. You know, I played Diablo One when it came out, and now there's Diablo Immortal, and I still play it on my phone. So it's fun, you know. Some games are just. Uh, you know, there are like IPs that are kind of like they they stick with you for a really long time. Right. And I, I and, really uh, believe in I that, that type of content. Right, right. And uh, yeah, so I guess what you're trying to say is like for you kind of solving the data nightmare is in service of being able to increase the chances of creating these, you know, forever uh, IPs uh, in a way or so to say. Um is uh, is is that kind of what you mean, and that's what you're kind of gearing dive also towards too? I am. Yes, we are looking for this type of type of clients because those th- analyzing data on to be, first of all, most of these games do not really analyze data today like casual yeah. games. They don't. I, I don't mm-hmm. think that. Blizzard are using Diablo and doing the analysis that King are doing on Candy Crush. I don't know. It's just my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I have a feeling that they're not really getting into the... And there's so much to analyze, you know, on like the weapons and the, yeah. the, the en- type of enemies that you're attacking, your interaction when you come to the village and you go to the portal. 
and the whole heat map of where the character goes, there's so much things that you can analyze in a game like that. And obviously, all those interaction points generate huge amounts of data. So uh, mm-hmm. it's not something that can possibly be afforded by a small company. Uh, we had yeah, a couple yeah. of clients in the past that did uh, something similar. And because of the amount of data that they were generating, we had to take it back a little bit and uh, to kind of ease their infrastructure so it won't get really expensive really fast. The product manager is like, there's a map, there's a world. You want to know where, where, where you go in that world? Where are you going exactly? What are you doing? Who are you interacting with? Yeah. And all this movement yeah. generates a ton of data. It's like, Tens of millions of millions of events. Yep, yep. So, uh, I mean, yeah, during my, uh, during my time at Zynga, that's also kind of where I, you know, um, cut my PM teeth, uh, so to say. And (laughs) it's also where I, you know, uh, truly learned how to, you know, manage and analyze and gain insight uh, from data. And um, I mean, the kinds of Excel sheets that, you know, uh, we were building uh, over there, it was it was really, really crazy. But honestly, it was also, you know, weirdly addictive in a way, just being able to have access to all this, you know, user in uh, user generated uh, data points that, you know, if you're asking the right questions, uh, you could really, really gather a lot of information that exactly. can help you make, exactly. you know. Some some of the best product decisions or, you know, marketing-related exactly. decisions, yes. um, technical decisions, you know, um, whatever. And I guess, I guess that comes to, like, you know, um, like you said earlier, it's so important to ask the right questions. And, yeah, that's also kind of the mindset that, you know, kind of Zynga uh, hammered into me, which is a hypothesis-driven mindset. First, state your hypothesis mm-hmm. and then dive into the data. But it's a problem that I continue to see with PMs and, you know, um, uh, data analysts today where... Uh, the hypothesis is not said, but they dive into the data looking for the answer, you know, and it's kind of the opposite way to uh, exactly. approach uh, the problem and actually ends up wasting more time uh, than actually, you know, uh, making making the company more efficient, uh, really. So, yeah, I mean, to this to this point about, you know, asking the right questions, what, um, how should like game developers uh, think about that? Like what, when they're trying to think about like the right hypotheses or uh, the right kinds of questions to ask, um, how should they approach it? You know, um, how how does one formulate a great question that can result in great business results if the data is analyzed in the right way? And does it differ from like small companies to large companies and such? Yes, I mean we have like so large companies we worked with in the past. They have four product managers. And we ended Mm -hmm. up building for them hundreds of dashboards because they keep asking questions all the time, which is amazing. All of them were ex-Zingla, ex-EA, ex-Scopely. So they had a ton of experience of asking the right questions. Many game studios that don't have that luxury, we work with them. We do like weekly calls with them. Uh, we have a Slack or a Discord channel with every game studio, and I'm also in the channel. So from time to time, I also jump on a call and like try to see if I can give my two cents. But I think the best way is really um, 
consulting or speaking with people that has experience, you know, because sometimes one hour with someone from Navic will give you a ton of questions about the product. And beyond that... I appreciate that, these plugs, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, it's important, man. I'm like People with experience can easily identify the right question, like really fast, in like yeah. 30 minutes, one hour sessions. So you don't need to mm-hmm. like a full-time employee. Sometimes I'm, I'm a big fan of, of like consulting with ninjas. So one mm-hmm. hour of a, or 30 minutes of one ninja is worth so much, you know? <laughs> and then right. I always try to follow a rule of thumb of every time you make a modification in the game or mm-hmm. add a new feature, make sure that you measure it. Because launching right. features without measuring them is, uh, it's like suicide, you know, it's just like gambling. You don't know what, they are. Right. you must know, uh, you launch a new tournament system, see who used it. Like as simple as that. How many right. people actually click that button? You know, like simple stuff. And it's mm-hmm. not, you know, that, that mindset can be uh, acquired over time, you know, like after some time you start thinking this way. You want to change yeah. the color of something, you do an A-B test. You want to launch something, you test the, you know, we, when we, we encourage the product managers to actually add in the product spec, the questions at the bottom of the spec. They're launching an achievement system. Okay, so what will be the questions? How many people per day, per session, whatever, finished that achievement? How many achievements were finished? How did that affect the game economy? Did it generate too many coins? Is this causing inflation? It's, you know, these are like, you're nodding your head because you know that from Zynga, but, you know, many game studios are not really aware (laughs) of that. So you have to hold their hand Mm. and explain that to them. Right. Right, right. I guess uh, that brings up an interesting point about maybe there being two two different types of questions because um, the kinds of questions that you're talking about are kind of like the, you know, like the post, post-launch post analysis questions to measure feature health and maybe, you know, um, maybe come up with <clears throat> fixes or iterations to that uh, to that existing feature so that it, it can you know iteratively kind of uh, be improved but um, there's also the second type of question that I've kind of found in my career which is um, it doesn't really have to do in, uh, with anything that's live in the game right now but it's more about finding untapped potential you know uh, it may not be related to a certain feature that's currently live but it's definitely hidden in player behavior given the current state of the game um, <clears throat> that's kind of like forced me to have like two more uh, tools in my you know question generating toolbox uh, one of them is like just playing the game like incessant like you know just incessantly playing the game being absolutely obsessive with it really uh, because once i'm able to play the game and i have like you know i can basically you know um, I don't know. Uh, 
if someone was to ask me in a dream while I'm sleeping, like, what does this feature actually do? I can answer them. I know the game that well. Then I'm able to, um, I'm also able to find out, you know, uh, or at least hypothesize what could be like potential untapped areas of, you know, uh, growth that maybe the team is yeah. thinking about. Building products, games, whatever, services, has two main channels from which you get feedback. One is data, obviously. But data is like the untold story. And then the other one is the community. So I encourage game studios to start a community as fast as possible. Depending on the age, obviously, it can be a Facebook fan page. It can be a Discord channel. You will not, you will not believe how many how much feedback people write in the story views. They give you one star and they just pour their heart of like, I wish there was this and I wish there was that and that was, and it stole my coins. And <laughs> that's really valuable yep, yep, feedback. Yep. And emails, I, yep. I love, I love when games put like an easy way to complain, I call it. So there's a contact us option from mm. the game and you can complain and say, hey, I, I, this doesn't work. That's a shame. You have to kill this. I love this game, but blah, 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 blah. And there are crazy reviews uh, as, as well, right? You know, and best game ever, one star. You know, there are like crazy things once in a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Definitely seen a few of those. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know, I know. And I guess that that's why I kind of have like both of these tools in my tool set because <clears throat> if I don't play the games myself, then... I um I will not have the capability of uh prioritizing which points of community feedback are maybe um more important than the others because I mean of course there's like you know we could measure it like how many people are you know uh, cribbing about this specific topic that could be measured but I think it should be a mix of both for you know PMs like exactly. not on, or you know game designers or whoever like they should they should also know it themselves but let's double check it with the data to also make sure that my hypothesis that this is a big problem is really a big problem you know I actually work with the, I'm I'm doing a lot of uh, investments angel investments and advisory work as well for companies mm-hmm. and game studios and I I work now with a game studio that actually incorporates the community in the game development and it's really fun ah okay it's it's it like right. already they already create Sounds the audience like <laughs> from beforehand yeah it's really fun right i think right. that uh, how how how, how does that how does that work you know they create like a discord channel and they have like constant communication with the and they publish their like what is coming up, you know, the characters, the, you know, the features mm-hmm. and they get feedback. Sometimes if you put like a video, that's enough. Or like an mm-hmm. image, that's enough to get feedback because the player can already imagine what mm-hmm. is coming. It's a great way, right, by the right. way, to test games, test game concepts before you even start developing them. You just right. launch right. A, a marketing campaign with a video. Uh, brain, without the brain. game even done or like a playable ad or something like that yeah yeah. so I guess like the um, the more extreme the response uh, to something like that from the community um, the more trustworthy I guess it is maybe like lukewarm responses 
<laughs> I guess don't need to be acted on. You could still maybe continue with production plans on a lukewarm response. Yeah. But if it's like very extremely negative or extremely positive, then you can be pretty sure. Uh, I actually so many uh, games that create the ads with the feature in the ad before it's developed in the game. They uh, say that again. They create the ad for the feature before the feature is developed. Exactly. So they publish like yep, a yep, part yep. of the game uh, of a feature that is not done yet, and see right. how it like if people like if it it attracts more people or not. You can be right, so right, right. creative today with a super low budget. You know, it's not what it used to be. It's very easy to ramp yep. up teams. Uh, you can get developers from all over the world for a very lean budget. Great. art amazing art uh, guys that can and freelancers yep. all over the world that do amazing things there it's much more yep. easier to develop and iterate a game today than it used to be a while ago i guess that flexible That's, more iterative and highly experimental mindset is even more important today you know and of course. is this post <laughs> idfa yes, world where everything is must. so uncertain and such It's yeah. a must because you, you can never know. You can yeah. never know. It's like if you would have asked me years ago, we're going to launch this website called Facebook. What do you think? And then my response would have been, "But there's there's MySpace. Why would you need Facebook for?" You know, <laughs> you never know what will work and what will not work. So you just have to try. Yeah. You have to A/B yeah. test. You have to. It's the only way. Yeah, I guess. I guess we talked about like you know all the different. Um, All the different torchlights you can probably shine on, you know, making the nightmare a little best, a little bit less nightmarish. Yes. But um, how how about um, you know, like the big question also for a lot of developers is, um, especially for like small to medium ones, you know, um, how much time should I really invest in this? I'm a small team, you know, three to uh, or we're a small team, three to five people. We play our game day in and day out. We listen to our community all the time. So what's the real benefit of you know going deep into the data and looking at correlations and stuff i guess like developers might also be thinking like this but in your opinion like i guess the question kind of comes down to like how much um how much money how much player engagement how much you know pick your metric that's important to you are developers kind of you know leaving on the table Uh, by not addressing this uh, this nightmare head on, either. I have actually met a profitable game studios, small one, that mm-hmm. built an entire game out of community feedback with zero data. Interesting. Yes, I mean, I think that community is the most important thing, and data kind of fill in the blanks, because if right. if. If you have a high crash rate, you will not see it from some. You know, it it will float more in the data and less in like because most people don't complain; they just uninstall it and that's it. They they, they delete mm-hmm. the game and they never come back. But data will float those kind of issues. So small game studios, um, you know, basic APIs, basic metrics, enough to show some sort of traction or community enough to help you either get a publishing deal or maybe raise another round so that you can invest more in data uh, develop mm-hmm. better progression systems in, uh, invest in a better game economy and 
building that content trend mill because you you cannot make money of like a, a pilot or like half a season you know you have to like build more and more and more content so that you can maximize the lifetime value of the players higher ltv means you can buy higher on the cpi means that you can afford more expensive players that's it in an essence it's a very right. simple formula actually yep yeah and did data or uh, yeah making the nightmare less nightmarish and addressing data kind of helps you <laughs> get there i guess exactly um, yes. <clears throat> that's also something cool. that cool. you know right. that vcs or publisher will need and it will be one of their first questions to kind of give you a even the basic api report but again yep a lot of the basic stuff the boring kpis can be achieved with you know free off the shelf tools or stuff like that we we're trying to also develop kind of an indie tier in dive now but mm-hmm. um, the drawback that we see is that they stay indie forever because if they don't have money for marketing they will never scale so how 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 do you how do you go about um how do you go about like uh, kind of convincing these more indie clients to you know get deeper into the data quote and quote because that's kind of uh, that's kind of the problem i'm also uh, you know hitting at with the question it's um it could be a broader problem you know dive client or not um there are developers who you know they have access to their the basic kpis and they kind of uh, it's like enough for the vitals of the game and as long as the vitals of the game are deeply uh, understood then we should probably be good um so so how do you how do you like but you know there's of course like value in getting deeper into it finding those different correlations finding areas of like untapped potential uh iterating on existing features optimizing you know various funnels etc how do you um what is the conversation like with one of these more indie clients for you where you're trying to like maybe convince them to go deeper uh, how does that usually play out how do you handle it to be honest if they don't have the budget we try to move on to the next client and i try helping them as much as i can <laughs> because i love the industry right but right. i mean you cannot bootstrap i mean you can i'm actually it's it's an interesting experiment can you bootstrap again the the whole mm-hmm. indie the whole indie um dream of me sitting in my garage and building the next uh, crossy road or something like that i think it's uh, it's it's i mean i don't it's possible if the platform is new because you're still you still have a good chance of discovery there is it, there is no saturation so if you're the first guy on roblox on making a game you'll probably get discovered rather quick and if it's uh, mm-hmm. i know I think that it's easier to get discovered on new platform but if you want to compete in a saturated industry like I know PC mobile whatever you I mean you need a budget some sort of a budget even art you know is like mm-hmm. quality art costs a yep. lot of money you know it's, it's not a it's it's not it's not that easy to get in a in a cheap price 
VFX, you know, right, like the right. amount of iterations that you need to do on VFX in a game is insane. I don't know if you guys are doing a mm-hmm. podcast on building game studios, but you need some sort of a budget. You can keep a very tight team, like one developer, one game designer, and, uh, and one artist, but mm-hmm. these people will probably work at like 200% capacity. And uh, at mm-hmm. some point, they will need a little bit of help because there's a bottleneck at some, you know, you're a product manager, you consult, I need this, I need to build a tournament system, you know, build it, you know, and you spec everything up, but one guy, <laughs> one developer will take months to execute that. And uh, yeah. that, that's where it, it, it gets, that's like the bottleneck that, you know, and you can improvise with government funding and small tickets. And I see a lot of indie game studios doing that. They have great programs mm-hmm. in Canada and Australia, all over the world, really. But mm-hmm. you need some sort right. of a budget. Right. It's inevitable. Okay. Cool. Makes sense. So, yeah, okay. So, bottom line, deep data analysis requires uh, <laughs> requires some budget, uh, which, uh, which also is functional to time. So, okay. But that makes sense. Um, so yeah, hopefully like, you know, the indie devs and the people who are maybe less convinced about getting deep into the data uh, also kind of, you know, keep that in mind uh, while they're kind of, uh, you know, deciding to get deeper into it. Uh, maybe something related to, you know, um, what you said about, you know, if someone is building a game on Roblox and also just related to Dive's offering, which is cross-platform. Do you see like, our, our entire discussion has been, you know, uh, more mobile free-to-play focused uh, until now. But do you see like this data nightmare and, you know, the handling of data by different teams to be worse? Is it like the same across the industry or is it only concentrated to, you know, mobile free-to-play? Is it different? No, not at all. Not at all. PC no, console it's it's or? everywhere. It's yeah. everywhere. We, we work also. We have a... Roblox SDK and we support Roblox game analytics. We support mm-hmm. Minecraft. You you would be amazed. There are so many great opportunities in Minecraft games and no one is mm-hmm. basically doing any data analysis. So there's like a really nice opportunity there. And I'm a huge mm-hmm. uh, I'm a huge fan of PC, Steam, and AAA. I think there is like a lot of money on the floor that you can probably pick up easily. Even big game studios, they they focus, they have hundreds of people on doing the filming and the art and all the stuff, but they have know, like two people in the back end and zero data people, which is sad because right. they could have probably made way more money than what they do today. Right. Uh, so right. it's, it's um, there is those opportunities exist on uh, on every platform because you 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 need a way to understand players or player behavior or how the game works because mm-hmm. the whole way of designing a game and if we jump to like a game economy for example we take that as an example you you know it's a huge excel with calculated on play time and you start making assumptions of people will play X amounts a day, they will spend you know, X minutes or one hour, whatever a day. That, that means that they will mm-hmm. get to level this and that after this and that weeks. And 
Mm-hmm. Maybe it's true for the average player, but then the crazy ones, the obsessed ones, which are the best ones, because that's the niche, that's the... the um, these are your really huge fans. They, they will be the ones that will buy uh, skins or weapons in the game. They will invest, they will be invested heavily in that game. They consume the content super fast. And that is way mm-hmm. that is why we we also started developing tools in our platform because you cannot give the same content to a new user and a, like a super engaged user. They consume it in a different mm-hmm. at a different rate. So you must yep. treat every segment uh, in in a different way. You can call it personalized. You can call it the 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 some the basic assumption is that people in early levels are not very skillful, and the ones that are in higher levels are. are but it's not very accurate. On this uh, topic of uh, personalization, just as a small sidetrack before we kind of also wrap up, but um, like one of the hypotheses that I've had is, um, you know, in this in this post uh, IDFA world, um, now the 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 amount that people that the amount that game developers can learn about their potential player base before they are acquired has gone down. So you know, targeted UI abilities have kind of reduced. So therefore, a lot more of the learning needs to happen once they're actually in the game. This is also, you know, um, I think this is also why, like, you know, you see genres like 4X and a lot of mid-core genres, like, really kind of broadening the top of the funnel right now. They're just, like, getting whoever that they can. But then once they're in the game, that's when they kind of, you know, get into segmenting them and maybe offering them you know, different content tracks, different experiences and such. Is it, uh, is, you know, this, um, or before my question, at the same time, personalization as a topic, you know, uh, hasn't really become a thing. It's always been there in the mobile free-to-play space for the longest time. I mean, again, going back to my days at Zynga, uh, you know, almost 10 years back, personalization was talked about even then, but it never really became like a very widespread concept across uh, mobile free-to-play game game developers. Do you see... um, do you see that kind of, you know, that kind of thinking in terms of, you know, offering segmented experiences, personalized experiences becoming more and more important with the clients you work with uh, today? I think it's a must. It's a must. Mm-hmm. And I wish it, I mean, it's not leveraged properly. I mean, forget mobile. What about PC? What about Steam, AAA? Mm-hmm. What about Web3? What about Roblox and Minecraft and Nintendo Switch. There are so many platforms out there. And to be honest, Friend. you know, the they release a game, but they don't they don't do the game as a service, like the follow-up of like maximizing the LTV and optimizing it and building segments and A-B testing. And and that is why. Right. The way we built the company is that, first of all, it's platform agnostic. I mean, it can run on anything, uh, on any platform you want. And then we built those tools because we see that the next step is once you got this player, whether it's a new player or a professional player or whatever, you want to mm-hmm. start 
putting them into buckets, segmenting them and saying, okay, this is, you know, identifying what type of player is it and trying to cater to his uh, style of uh, play. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will need, I mean, different countries will need different pricing. You cannot, you you cannot charge someone in Latin America the same like in a tier one USA, London, Canada, whatever. Yeah. Yep. The next stop would probably be content because you need to personalize their content as well according to their engagement level. But there's so much work that is post-launch and this <laughs> is all... Uh, that 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 is what makes... Like you know, a game, uh, uh, great, and that that's those are the companies that really scale it to the next level, and that's why, in a way, the games industry became unfair in a way, you know, because the mm. huge companies already understand that they know how to leverage that, they have the teams for that, and then you guys are suffering. <laughs> so that's why I started the conversation. Right. That, in a way, we start, we try to level the playing field just a little bit. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and I guess <clears throat> everything that you said is also why the data nightmare exists. <laughs> and probably at different scales, you know, for different people. And I don't want to even yeah. start opening the cost issue of like storage yeah. <laughs> and compute and processing. It's those, the numbers yeah. just go completely insane. Okay. Makes sense. So as a final ending question, um, data driven or data informed, uh, th- those are like the two kind of schools of thought that go around a lot in the industry or does Dive subscribe to a third school of thought? Uh, what, I say uh, both. What, what, what I say opinion? both because both? Okay. both are very, mm-hmm. it's a very different thing. Data informed is uh, another word for insight which is product manager mm-hmm. needs to be data informed. UA manager, mm-hmm. user acquisition, marketing guys, they need to be data informed. They launched the campaign. They mm-hmm. kind of created a custom link for an influencer with the, with some sort of like a promotion. They want to see how it performed. This is data informed. Mm-hmm. Uh, developers want to know crash reports. These are all data informed decisions. A data-driven is action, uh, which means using data to optimize, I know, pricing, content, game experience. You can use mm-hmm. if you know you can use data to, you know, if, if the player is fr- getting frustrated a lot, you can maybe give him a little boost in the middle of the level. If uh, he if he loves a specific type of content, maybe you can I don't know, leverage AI to generate that, that type of content. If it's a matter of pricing, maybe you can optimize the pricing or give him lower price points. So in the US, you will have mm-hmm. the coin store starting with $5. But in Latin America, maybe we we'll do like a half a dollar or $1 price point that you would have never used mm-hmm. in a tier one country. So it's... It's different things. It's really different things. Yep. Uh, not many people who uh, say both. Usually it's, uh, it's you know, <laughs> folks uh, fall on the polar opposite mm-hmm. ends of uh, these schools of thought. But I think you make like a pretty good case for having like both mindsets, you know, and switching from one to the other whenever it's required in the team. 
bigger yep. companies fight over the half percent funnel and you know like really low numbers but um small game studios even with a little bit of a b testing they can open they can see huge differences that will spike from mm-hmm. just like I gave you the example thirteen percent yep day one to over ninety. Uh, just yep. because yep. you know the the fetui is a little bit different or something like that yep yep makes sense cool so apply a mix of uh, data driven and data informed mindsets definitely keep a budget aside for data analysis uh, because you know yes. you don't know what you're really leaving on the table until you actually dive into it and <laughs> yeah listen to your players play the game uh, incessantly and hopefully like a lot of this will help uh, you know you listener uh, make the data nightmare a little less nightmarish and of course yes. uh, you could also reach out to dive <laughs> directly and elad to help okay, look at other industries If you check e-commerce, for example, you have so many tools mm-hmm. in like the e-commerce mm-hmm. uh, world for analyzing shopping carts and, and uh, uh, the, the whole Google Analytics platform is built for you know analyzing those yep. type of ga- apps and uh, websites. Games are kind of orphans, you know they don't have they don't get that attention, so that's why we started dive. We kind of try to uh, help more with insight yeah before we get into uh, how to get, uh, reach out to you I just wanted to also mention you know there's this um, old um, yeah I guess old maybe piece of wisdom or old adage that goes uh, of all the types of programming game programming is the most difficult <laughs> and maybe that same <laughs> uh, maybe that same uh, you know piece of wisdom also applies to data analysis uh, in the games industry. Uh, and you're going to be at gamescom so you know I guess people can uh, meet you there uh, directly um, but yeah if let's just yes. want to like reach out to you how should they where can they where, where can they contact well you? the best best way is through my LinkedIn and my okay. email is uh, elad elad at uh, dive.games that that's my probably awesome. the easiest ways to contact me yeah um, I, I love I, I'm like I have this ceremony I answer everyone on LinkedIn it's like a very important thing to me so I take my time to uh, help as much as I can it's a, it's, it's a personal thing that I love the industry and love helping awesome sounds great awesome then of thanks course. again Elad and uh, yeah looking forward to having you or someone from dive back on for uh, you know data corner episode number two. Uh, soon which will nice. be another interesting topic which I won't reveal right now but coming <laughs> coming up soon <laughs> all right take care of course if you enjoyed today's episode whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app make sure to like subscribe comment or give a five-star review and if you want to reach out or provide feedback shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.